Turn to Joshua chapter 5 this morning. I guess the Lord's given us a thought. I want to share it with you. Joshua chapter number 5. I love the book of Joshua. And I especially love it in the new year. Because the book of Joshua is a transitional moment for the children of Israel. Everything has changed for them. They are leaving behind them one land and entering into a new land. And that's sort of what we're doing this morning. I know there's nothing unique about this day in particular or yesterday or the day before, but we have chosen this time on our calendar to mark the turning of, of the, the revolution of the earth around the sun. We, we've chosen this time to demarcate a year that has passed. And, and as such, we find it to be a time of reflection and a time of, of setting forth our purpose for the new year. And so the book of Joshua is a fit portion of the Word of God to find ourselves this morning. Joshua chapter number 5, verse number 1. Notice what the Word of God says. It says, And it came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, then they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that floweth with milk and honey." And their children, whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. The children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. They did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the worship we've been able to have. Thank you, Lord, for the presence of the Holy Spirit in ministering. Lord, we know that he indwells every person that's born again. But it's so good when he has liberty to move in our midst. And 
I just want to thank you, Lord, for showing up and showing out and speaking to our hearts already today. Now help us as we approach thy word to not do anything that quench the Holy Spirit. But may we be, Father, a fit vessel for his ministration. Lord, may Christ be magnified in everything that is said and is done today. And may hearts be touched in that way that would please you the most. Lord, I, I don't know the heart's condition of, of each and every person here. I, I Really, I don't know the heart's condition of any of them. But, Lord, you know each and every person here. You know why they came. You know what they're going through, what they're thinking, how they're struggling, Lord. And I just pray that you would have liberty and freedom to work in their hearts and minds. If there's one amongst us that is lost, that's never been saved, if they died, they don't know where they go, or they know they go to hell, Lord, I pray that today they not leave here in that condition, but that you'd show them that Christ died for them, that you love them, Lord, that you'll save them if they'll come unto you. And, Lord, I pray that they'd be gloriously born again. And I pray that today hearts would be conquered for you. I pray that all wills would be submitted unto you. And Lord, I pray that as we leave here, we could say we've left in total obedience to your word and your will. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we said a moment ago, in the book of Joshua, the Israelites were moving into a new era in their national life. Moses, their former leader, is dead. And Joshua now has stepped into the breach by the command of the Lord to lead them into the land of Canaan. It is what we would call a pivotal or a transitional moment for them. Incidentally, it is also somewhat close to their new year. The Bible tells us that they kept the Passover, and the ordinance was that the Passover was to be kept on the 14th day of the first month in the Jewish calendar. And so in more ways than one, when we read this passage, we are reminded eerily of the time that we are living in today. How many of you know we are living in changing days? There are things going on today that five years ago you would have sworn never would have happened. Uh, we never know what may happen five minutes down the road. We live on the cusp of change and transition in our society at all times. And certainly, spiritually speaking, God desires always to break through in new ways to new ground, to new land in our life and to grow us for the glory of God. When we read this passage, verse number 1 sort of sets the stage for us. Notice it with me. It says it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, in other words, on the other side of where they had been, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. So when we read this, there are three important facts that frame this pivotal moment. I want you to think about the past year that we've had and see if there's any similarities when you look back on 2021. The first fact that we find here is really almost noted by its absence, and that is the name of a very important person in Israel's history. That's Moses. Moses had been their leader. He had been the man that God had called the prophet that had been raised up to lead them out of Egypt, to lead them on this journey into Canaan. We know because of the children of Israel's disobedience and then because of Moses' disobedience, he unfortunately does not get to go into the land of Canaan. And instead, the Lord permits him to die in peace and buries him in secret in a place called Mount Pisgah. And it reminds me of this. When we see Israel at this place, they had felt great loss in the past few months. 
How many of you know that 2021 has been a time of great loss? No doubt your life has been touched by losing people, uh, maybe to natural reasons or unnatural reasons, but I think we can all agree when we look back over the past year, there are both people and things that we cherish, that we have lost, that seem to loom over our appreciation of this new year. Not only had they felt great loss, but we read in verse number one that they had just uh, finished crossing through the Jordan River. Now, this was not a normal crossing like we would think of. They didn't build boats. They didn't take a ferry across. They didn't build a bridge. Rather, the Bible teaches us that God had divided the Jordan River in much the same way he had the Red Sea. This had had a profound effect on them. And I would say it this way. Not only had they felt great loss, but they had forded deep waters. So what do you mean, preacher? What does that have to do with me? Well, if you look back over this past year, you can focus on all the things that didn't go right. Or you can focus on the good and faithful God that has brought you through all those things that did not go right. I think we could look back over this year and all admit that we've been through some deep waters. Some things we didn't plan for. Certainly things we never prayed for. The things that God providentially saw fit to bring His people through. But you know, let me say this. We didn't just come to the waters. Bless God, we came through the waters. And here we sit today with a testimony that, hey, God has brought us through those things. But then we are reminded in verse number 1 that they were facing great enemies. The battles were not only behind them. They had battles in front of them. Now, I'm glad to report to you God was already fighting those battles. He fought them in the human heart. You know, that's how God fights battles today. He fights them in the human heart. And he had already melted the hearts of these kings, but we can read a few chapters ahead in the book of Joshua and find the Israelites stung with the bitter feeling of loss, of of death, of, of pain, and of defeat. There were great enemies still yet that they had to face. And I hate to report it to you, but you probably already knew it was true that we've probably got some big battles ahead of us. I wish I could tell you the worst was behind us. But I've quit saying that. Somebody say amen. Uh, you never want to say it can't get no worse. Sometimes, uh, you know, it seems like God just loves to prove us wrong. And we, we like to say, well, preacher, I mean, surely the worst is behind us of everything, but we really have no clue. I will tell you this. Whatever enemies we face, we have a God that is bigger than those enemies. So they, in many ways, were in the exact situation that we are. Here we stand with 2021 behind us in this moment of reflection. Here we stand with 2022 in front of us in anticipation of what God may do. Now, I don't know about you, but I want this to be a year where God gets victory in my life. I don't want it to be a year of the status quo. And I don't want it to be the year of spiritual decline. I want it to be a time when God is able to do more in my life than He's ever been before. We find when we read Joshua chapter number 5 and really the following chapters, though there were defeats, though there were discouragement, though there were low moments. It was a time when God gave victory after victory to His people. And that's the kind of year I want to have for 2022. We find Joshua chapter 5 to be a staging area for that work of God. We find that there were some things that had to transpire before God could lead them into this new land and could begin to do these things. And I want you to notice there are three important things that had to take place in their life as a nation for them to be able to move forward. The first is found in verse number 2. I want you to notice it with me. You say, Preacher, what do I have to do for 2022 to be a year when God does great things in my life? I want you to notice these three things with me. Verse 2 says, At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again 
the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of foreskin. Let me say number one this morning, if we want 2022 to be a year when God can do great things in our life, the first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to sever the flesh. Now let me be abundantly clear with what I mean when I say sever the flesh. And I can really, uh, really tell you a lot about it when we consider this rite of circumcision. Circumcision was given to Abraham and to his descendants as a way to demark them from the rest of the world. And the symbolism behind circumcision is described in the New Testament in this phrase, that it was the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It represented the idea that there was a part of Israel as a people that God saw as unfit and unbecoming of them and had to be removed. That filth of the flesh had to be put away so that they could be a unique and distinct people for the Lord's glory. Let me say this morning that every single one of us uh, need to uh, go through the operation of spiritual circumcision in our heart and in our life. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that every one of us, whether you're saved or unsaved, you have what the Bible calls the flesh. That's our natural condition. That's our nature. That's the part of us that craves that which is wrong, that which is sinful, that which is ungodly, that which does not please the Lord, that which does not magnify Christ. That The flesh is the reason the world is like the world. Now, when you got born again, your flesh did not cease to be. You can reach down and feel your, your hands and your arms and your ears. You know that your flesh is still present there. But even beyond that physical flesh, that natural tendency to do wrong and to sin is still present in your life, even if you've been saved. Here's what happened whenever you got born again. The flesh did not die. The spirit began to live. And what that means is now you still have that old man that wants to do wrong and wants to do wickedly. But now there's a new person living inside of you. Now there's a part of you that desires to serve the Lord, that desires to please God, and you now have a decision that must be made in your life. Which are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to that old man that desires his own ways and his own wills and his own works? Or are you going to desire to listen to the new man that longs to serve Christ and to please Him? In this passage, we have a picture of the vital importance of putting away the flesh in our lives. Now, I want to be very clear. You're never going to eradicate your flesh. Listen carefully. Your flesh cannot be sanctified away. It can't be consecrated away. It can't be baptized away. And it can't be uh, eradicated away. Your flesh is going to be present in your life until God transforms our bodies, gives us a new body glorified like His. But you can make the decision to cut off the influence of the flesh in your life and not allow the flesh, the old man, to dictate the way that you live. What do we see when we read this passage? Well, notice first off the reason for this taking place. The Bible tells us that, verse 4, this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out, were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, then they had not circumcised. Let me say here, in the reason, why is it so important? You say, preacher, why do I have to mortify flesh? Why do I have to sever it? Why do I have to resist the tendency of the flesh to dominate my life, to drown out the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, to uh, to dismiss the, the, the truth of the Word of God? Why is that so important? Well, I would say there's two reasons here. One, we see in this passage, the flesh is naturally present in every person. 
There's a very simple reason that they had to circumcise the children of Israel a second time. And that doesn't mean they took those that had been circumcised and circumcised them again, but it means that as a nation, they had went through the process of circumcision whenever they left Egypt, but now they had to go through it again. There's a very simple reason. A whole new generation of people had grown up. And because of that, there was a whole new generation of people that had to be circumcised. You know the stark truth that reminds us of? It is not our ancestors' commitment and consecration but it is ours that matters. Nobody can make the decision to serve Christ for you. You have to make the decision to serve Christ. You say, preacher, I think I'm probably okay. I think I'm a pretty good person. I think I'm just naturally have a disposition. Have you ever met someone, we use this term for them, a goody two-shoes. You ever heard that term? My wife has been accused of being that by people that do not know her very well. But she's that kid that she was the teacher's pet. You know, of course, the teacher was her dad, but, uh, but, you know, she, she was, she, she was the kid that, you know, teacher, you forgot to give us homework. I, that, that's her, right? She was the kid that was always obedient, that was always well behaved, at least outwardly speaking. And she was a meek and mild person. I don't know what happened since then, but she was that person. But can I tell you this? Uh, Oftentimes, people that are raised and are that way, they, they have a tendency to think, well, you know, I'm pretty good. My flesh is probably pretty harmless. And they don't say it that way. Here's how they say it to themselves. I have good instincts. Can I tell you this? Your instincts stink. Nobody has good instincts. Now, you may have a good nose for a, a bargain at the Walmart. You may have a, a good sense of a, a used car when you buy it. But when it comes to the matter of how to live righteously before God, when it comes to the matter of how to live a life that glorifies Christ, your instincts don't matter at all. Your flesh is as wicked and rotten as my flesh is, as everyone's is. Don't presume that you can just go on your own instincts in your life. Here's what the book of Proverbs says about it. It says, to lean not unto thine own understanding. Here's the reality. Everybody has to mortify the flesh if they want Christ to get victory in their life. And I don't mean to do away with it forever. I don't mean to reach a state of perfection because we know that is not true. There is no biblical foundation for the idea that on this side of the grave we will ever be sinless in the way that we live our lives. We're always going to sin. We're always going to make mistakes. Uh, John said it this way. And I've always loved this. He said, Beloved, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And then before he even gets that out, he says, and if any man sin. You know why he says that? Because he knows what we are. The Bible says, if any man say he hath no sin, he is a liar. The truth don't abide in him. He does not the truth. The fact is, we are all sinners. We all have a sinful nature. And as such, it's important that we sever the influence of the flesh in our life. Notice verse number 8. We find a new truth here. It says, and it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Now that's interesting. You say, preacher, why is that interesting? I mean, obviously there was probably some, some soreness, maybe some fever they were recovering from it. That's true. But it's interesting to note they didn't go fight any battles until they had first dealt with the flesh. I see the requirement of doing this. It is not optional. It, it, it is not the step for the super Christian to take. Rather, it is a requirement in our life if we're going to live a life that glorifies God. We oftentimes view necessities as, as embellishments in the Christian life. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, we view things, we have created categories in our life of, of, of the really super Christians, right? And, and then the really good Christians and the pretty good Christians and, and then the sort of so-so Christians. And, and we sort of feel like we float in and out of these various categories throughout our life. 
One of the great damaging things about that perspective is we take things that are the very meat and potatoes of the Christian life and relegate them to being the optional choices of people that desire a greater commitment to God. Here's the truth of the matter. You, if you're going to do anything for the Lord, you're going to have to mortify the flesh. Paul said it this way, my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Not a few good things. Not maybe one or two good things. Not maybe there is, but I haven't checked yet. Definitively, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul said the only way to deal with it is to put it to death. It's the only way to address it. We see the requirement of it here. And then notice the remembrance it's made. Verse number 9, something interesting happens. The Bible says, the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. The word Gilgal literally means to roll away. And the Lord instructs the children of Israel to have a memorial of some sort, a remembrance to be made for what took place at this moment in their life. Uh, the maps of the children of Israel of their day would have been populated with such markers, such reminders of God's work in their life. And one of them would have been this place, Gilgal. When people walked by it, they would have said the name Gilgal. Where are you going to? We're going to go down to Gilgal. Well, how do you get there? Well, you go down and, and bear left past Gilgal. And every time it was mentioned, it would be a reminder to the children of Israel of what had taken place that day. In other words, God never wants them to forget the importance of what transpired. Every time they passed Gilgal, they'd be reminded of the need to put away the filth of the flesh. Can I tell you an important truth this morning? I, you and I both would love if the way this thing worked is we made one good, solid, big commitment to God and that dealt with all of it. As though we could just come to the Lord, ask forgiveness, lay it on the altar, get up and be a super Christian for the rest of the year. But here's the truth of the matter. You're going to have to pass by Gilgal every day. Every single day, you're going to have to mortify that flesh. Every single day, you're going to have to be reminded that in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul said it this way, I die daily. In other words, he was saying every day I wake up, I have to remind myself that I'm not here to live Paul's life. I'm here to live Christ's life. Every day that I wake up, I have to be reminded that it is not my way but it is God's way. Every day that I wake up, I have to be reminded that left unto myself, I will make my life a sinful mess. But if I will yield myself to the authority of Christ and allow His Word to guide and direct my life, then my life can count for something. I would say in our life, we need to never forget how important this is. You know, when we get in trouble is when we forget that. We have a pretty good run of things. We stay out of any kind of, of, of abiding or, or, or ghastly sin for a little while. And, and all of a sudden, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. We've got this thing licked. We know what we're doing. And then all of a sudden, it comes and hits us like a wrecking ball. Something that we would have sworn we would have never done. And then all of a sudden, there it is. And it is a stark reminder that your flesh and my flesh can never be trusted. The Bible says it this way. Paul said, give none. Occasion to the flesh. Don't even give it the chance. <laughs> I can't tell you the numbers of times that I've heard Christians endorse foolish activity at the notion that it would somehow build in them a resilience against temptation. People say, well, you know, I, I can hang around people that live wrong and, and do wrong, and that's good for me. It'll make me stronger. It'll make me have a better testimony. Don't you put that confidence in your flesh. The Bible says when we think much of ourselves... That's when we're about to fall. The truth of the matter is, ain't none of us above doing nothing. I don't care what it is. You think you are. You've just not been put in the right situation. 
Don't ever put that confidence in your flesh. You have to be reminded daily that your flesh will always fail you. The arm of flesh will always let you down. You cannot let down your guard and think for one moment that you can just live life your way and do your thing and trust in yourself because you will invariably make a mess of your life. I see the first thing they had to do was they had to sever the flesh. But then notice with me verse 10. I see a second important thing. The Bible says the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore. Now I want you to notice the end of verse 12. But they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. We have an interesting shift in their dietary condition. They begin as they journey throughout the wilderness. They're, they're keeping the Passover. They're eating the manna from heaven. They're, they're, they're eating the quail that is given to them, dropped down from heaven from the Lord. They're drinking the water out of the rock. And then all of a sudden as they come into the land of Canaan, into a land that flows with milk and honey, they find bounty. They find provision there. And the Bible says that they eat of the corn of the land. And the moment they begin to eat of the corn of that land, the manna ceases. But then the Bible says, that they went on after that, and it wasn't about, they still continued to keep the Passover, but it wasn't their main dietary staple. They, they didn't continue to eat the old corn, the parched corn, the dried corn of the land. They didn't continue to eat the manna, it ceased, but rather they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. I'd say this this morning, we, if we want this year to count for Christ, if we want it to be meaningful, if we want it to be a year where God does great things in our life, we're going to have to sever the flesh, but number two, we're going to have to seek new fruit. Seek new fruit. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, I want you to notice what they had fasted on. Because each of these things are representative of certain things. Notice number one, verse 10, they had feasted on the Passover lamb. What a glorious picture the Passover is. It represents the Lamb of God slain for us uh, on, from the foundation of the world. It represents Christ, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It was represented for the children of Israel of God giving a sacrifice on their behalf that they might be redeemed and pardoned. And it was a perpetual statute for them. It was a glorious thing. It was a wonderful thing for them to get to eat of it. But it was fundamentally at its core an act of worship. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, they didn't eat the Passover every day, but once a year they ate it. It was not really something that was meant to sustain them but it was meant to be an act of worship on their behalf. I think it's wonderful they ate the Passover, but it reminds me of the previous year's worship. Listen, I hope you've worshipped the Lord this past year. I hope this has been a year when you've given your heart to Christ in greater ways than ever before. I hope you've yielded your soul to Him in ways that you've never imagined. But can I say that ain't going to be enough for this next year. It's good what you've done in 2021, but guess what? 2021 has passed. And now as we move forward, we have to be seeking new fruit. Not only that, the Bible says, verse 11, they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover. So they not only ate the Passover lamb, but they ate the parched corn of the land. There's probably a lot of things that we could say about this parched corn, probably a lot of things that it evokes the ideas of. But every time I read corn in the Bible, I can't help but go to the book of John, chapter number 12, whenever Christ was giving an illustration about His resurrected body and He spoke about a, a kernel of wheat or a, a piece of corn that, that falls into the ground and, and it dies, it perishes in the falling. 
But through that, there is a whole ear of corn or a whole stalk of corn that, that is birthed and that grows and that then produces many different kernels of corn. And he used that to describe the reality of his resurrection. That he would be like that kernel of corn that in his death would be planted into the ground, but in his resurrection would bring forth life and life eternal for so many that would believe on him. In other words, it's a reminder of the witness of the Lord. When we see corn in the Bible, it reminds us of that resurrection truth and reality. And I would say this, listen, I hope you've witnessed for the Lord this past year. I hope this has been a year when you've been more bold to give you testimony than you've ever been before. I hope you've shared what Christ has done in your life with more people than ever before. But guess what? Now 2022 sits in front of us and we need to go forward to new fruit of the Lamb. Not only that, the Bible says in verse number 12, the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore. Manna is a beautiful picture in the Word of God about the life of Christ. He's the bread of life. But you know, at its very core, here's what the manna was. It was a miraculous source of food. Even more miraculous than the quails that God brought in. I mean, that's a remarkable thing. God directing those quails and, and causing them to perish right over the camp of the children of Israel. But the manna, the, the book of Psalms calls it angels' food. Literally came from the very glorious throne of God and dropped down for Israel to eat. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the great works that God had done in their life as a nation. They had been living on that miracle food, that, that angel's food, that miracle bread that had been given. But now that ceased. And God brought them forward into the land of Canaan to do great works in a new way. Hey, I don't know about you, man. I can look back over this year and God's done some incredible things. I mean, things that I would have never imagined. I mean, I guess I knew God could do them, but I, things I would have never imagined seeing God do that He's done this past year. And I praise His holy name for Him. But 2021 is behind us. And now it's time to move forward into 2022. And I don't know about you, but I don't want all of the great miracles that God's done in my life to be in the past. I want some of them to be in the future. I, listen, I, I glory in being able to look back over all that He's done. But I also want to look forward to what He's going to do. And I would say this, that when your attitude is that God is done, chances are He's done. I'm going to say that again. I'm not sure if that landed hard or what. If your attitude is that God is done in my life, chances are He's done in your life. Now, here's what I mean. I don't mean He's done loving you. I don't mean He's done working in your heart and your spirit. But I mean, if you have no desire to see God do anything greater in your life, you're probably limiting Him and hindering Him in such a way that it's going to be difficult for Him to do anything in your life. You say, preacher, nobody could hinder God. Nobody could limit God. The Bible says of Israel they limited God. To preacher, you don't understand. God just sort of shows up, hits, hits my life like a thunderbolt, whether I like it or not. The Bible says there was a place where he could do their no mighty work because they wouldn't believe on him. I'm just saying this. You want him to do something in your life. You've got to get your focus on what God is doing in your life and what you desire for him to do in your life. I'm not talking this name it and claim it garbage, but I am talking about looking forward and saying, God, I don't want you to be done with me. I want you to do greater things in my life. This year, I'm saying this, we got to seek new fruit. In other words, we can't look backwards and say, well, all oh, that's glorious, all oh, that's wonderful. And by the way, it was glorious. It was wonderful. It was necessary. But they could not live off past nourishment. They had to go forward and feast on that new fruit. I'm saying this, if we live our whole life in retrospect, we're going to miss what God's desiring to do right in front of us. 
They had to serve, sever the flesh. They had to seek new fruit. But then go to verse 13. I'll give you this and be done. The Bible says, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. So imagine this for a moment. Joshua has, he's left the, the, the camp of Israel. He has gone over on the hillside. He is surveying a place called Jericho. Jericho will be the site of one of the great victories that God will accomplish in Israel's history. Uh, you know the story. You, you've, you've uh, learned it in Sunday school or uh, watched a veggie tale about it. Somebody say amen. When you got kids, you say things like that. Or if you're old school, a patch the pirate, that's okay. And you have, you, you've heard about the walls of Jericho, how that they blew the trumpets, how that God tumbled the walls. But none of this has happened yet. Joshua is getting ready to march the forces of Israel onto the city of Jericho. But before he does, he goes up on the hillside and in a quiet moment alone, it reminds me almost like the painting of Washington, all by himself. He is waiting, he is praying, he is uh, meditating on what God is going to do. And the Bible says that he lifted up his eyes, verse 13, and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. Let me share with you a, a theological truth. In the Old Testament, there are events that theologians would call a theophany or a Christophany. That's a big $10 word for it. But here's what it meant. It means a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ. Do you know that all through the Old Testament, the, 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 the witness and testimony of God is sort of peppered with these instances when the Bible says the angel of the Lord would appear, but it's apparent from the text that this is not just an angel like Michael or Gabriel, but it is actually someone that stands in the honor and majesty and authority of God Himself. This is one such example. For instance, here in a few moments, here's what this angel is going to tell Joshua. He's going to say, loose thy foot from off thy, thy shoe from off thy foot, not thy foot from thy shoe. You've got problems if that happens, amen. <laughs> Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the ground where thou standest is holy. One other time that happens in Scripture, and it's when uh, uh, Joshua's uh, predecessor Moses is standing at the burning bush and talking with I am Jehovah. There are other instances in the Bible when this takes place, whenever uh, the children, Hebrew, uh, we say children, they weren't children, whenever the Hebrew men uh, are in the fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar says he sees a fourth like the Son of God, it's because it was the Son of God. By the way, not like a son of God, like some modern versions say, but like the son of God. Why is that? Because that's who it was. <laughs> the very angel that uh, was there present whenever Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac that grabbed out and reached and grabbed his hand, he said to Abraham, Thou hast not withheld thy son from me. Well, why did he say it that way? Well, because he is God. That angel was. It was Christ appearing in the Old Testament. Time and time again, there's instances of this. And our text before us shows us one such instance. We know this for a few reasons. Well, one of the reasons we know is in verse number 14, Joshua fell to his face to the earth and did worship. In the Bible, every time someone tried to worship an angel, an angel would not permit it. Why is that? Because we ought to worship the Lord and Him alone. Not only that, but Joshua says, What saith my Lord unto his servant? He's making it known that he is the servant of the Lord. But not only that, that this angel before him is the Lord. And of course, verse number 14, whenever he is commanded to loose his shoe from off his foot. Now when we think about this portion of Scripture, it becomes immediately apparent what is taking place. 
Preacher, I want 2022. I want it to be the, a year when God does great things in my life. What do I have to do? Well, number one, you're going to have to the flesh. You're going to have to make up your mind that you can't trust yourself. You've got to trust the Word of God above yourself. Number two, you've got to seek new fruit. You've got to make up your mind that whatever great things God has done in 2021 and praise His holy name for Him, they're behind you. And now God's doing a work in this year. But I would say, number three, you're going to have to surrender fully. Here is the great military general Joshua standing on the hillside determining a course of battle, determining a strategy. And all of a sudden, here is this man standing there with a sword in his hand. And Joshua asks an interesting question. It's a question I think we all ask in verse number 13. Joshua at the end of the verse says, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Let me just say this, and I'm not going to belabor it, I don't think. I never know what I'm about to say, but... Uh, you know, part of the reason God can't do nothing in our life is that's how we approach Him. Are you for me or are you against me? Here's my plan. God, are you going to get in line and help me with it? Or are you going to get out of the way and let me get down to business? Now, in all fairness to Joshua, I mean, if I turned around and somebody was drawn up on me, I think I'd be bowed up too. But he, in asking this question, represents what is the fundamental flaw in most people's attitude towards the will of God. Most people's attitude is, God, can you help me accomplish the things that I desire to accomplish? Let me tell you, God does not begrudge you having ambitions and desires, but they're just not the paramount thing in His interest. You know why? Very simple. He's God and you're not. You don't know what's best for you. He does know what's best for you. And therefore, when the Lord answers Joshua, he answers in a fascinating way. Joshua says, are you for me or are you against me? Notice how he answers. Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. Now that sounds real glorious and majestic. Captain of the host of the Lord, commanding the great unnumbered armies of heaven. But I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying this. Joshua says, are you for me or are you against me? He says, I'm above you. That army down there, Joshua, that you think you command, that's my army. That's not your army. That battle that you're staring at right now, those walls that you think you're about to to assault, that's my battle. And this is my plan. And so, Joshua, it's not a matter of if I'm for you or against you. It's a matter of whether you're for me or against me. I'd say this. We want this year to be what God desires for it to be in our life. We're going to have to surrender our ambitions to Him. Saying, the plan's mine, Joshua. And by the way, He went on in the next chapter to disclose to Joshua the absurd plan that worked with divine power and precision. Something that Joshua would have never dreamed up, would have never imagined. You know why? Because humanly speaking, it wouldn't work. But the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. What a mess Joshua would have made it. What a mess you and I would have made it. And thank God that Joshua instead said, all right, Lord, it's your army. It's your command. You want this year to be what glorifies Christ? You have to surrender your ambitions to him and say, Lord, here's what I want out of this year. I want you to be glorified. I want your will to be done in my life, whatever that looks like, whatever that is. If you have your will accomplished in my life, Lord, I'll count that a success and I'll be pleased with it. Surrender your ambitions. Number two, look what he says in verse 14. Or look at his response. Joshua, he fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Now this is this is stark language, isn't it? 
Joshua is the, the commander of all of the nation of Israel, two and a half million strong, and an army that is terrifying enough to melt the hearts of kings and of rulers. But here he bows like a lowly servant and says, Lord, you just tell me what you need me to do. I'd say not only do we have to surrender our ambitions, we have to surrender our authority. I'm going to go a step further. I didn't use this word, but I'm going to use it now. Surrender our autonomy. We like that word autonomy, don't we? I run my life. I control my life. I've got control of everything. Boy, I tell you, man, if there's anything these past two years ought to teach us, it's we ain't got control of nothing. <laughs> we think we've got control. We ain't got control of nothing. But oh my, let me tell you who does have control of it all. And I would a lot rather just place myself under his authority and say, Lord, command my life as you will. Whatever you desire out of it, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, Lord, here I am. I'm yours, leading God. Not only that, but look at verse 15. I'm going to mention this and be done. Wondering how many times I can say that before we just get mad and walk out. No, I really am. Verse 15. The captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Well, I pondered on that for a little while. There's a lot we could say about that, the significance of it. The idea of, of the Lord's holiness sanctifying the area around which he stands, the idea of mankind being so naturally wicked and, and ungodly, doesn't deserve to even stand on the same ground. But can I make a real simple observation? Here's a man that's getting ready to march into battle. There's a lot of things you might forget. You might forget your cell phone, you might forget your keys, but you're probably not going to march into battle without shoes on. But here in this moment, here's what he says. He says, you want me to lead this army, you got to take your shoe off. And let me march. I would say this. We've got to surrender our ability unto him. Why do we wear shoes? Right? We wear it because it makes the traveling easier. Makes us more agile. Makes us be able to move in whatever direction that we desire to do so. And to do so at the speed and at the ability that we want. But now he, we could say hobbles Joshua. And says, here's where you need to be, Joshua, if you want this, this battle to be won. On your face in front of me with your shoes off. That, that's not a man prepared for war. That's a man prepared for worship. But isn't that, that the truth? <laughs> that it's through worship that the war is won. It's through surrendering our ability unto Him. Saying, Lord, I, I, I can't do it. God, I can't do it. Can I tell you, if there's anybody that is not ready for 2022, it is this guy right here. Me. I have no clue what it's going to hold. And if you were to ask me, preacher, do you feel just, I'm talking about pumped up, reared up, ready to go, ready to face whatever happens? I go, yeah. Not hardly. But I take peace in knowing I serve a big God. Who if I just kick my shoes off, lay on my face in front of him and say, Lord, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to work in people's hearts. You're going to have to work in people's minds. You're going to have to work in our church. You're going to have to work in families then I know I can trust him to do what needs to be done. See, here's the reality. If you do this, if you take 2022 into your hands and you say, it's my year, this is the world's philosophy, it's my year, I'm going to wrestle it to the ground, it's going to whoop you. But if instead you say, this is the Lord's day and it's his year and it's his life, is my life is his, and I instead just want to surrender myself to him completely and let him have his will and way, You'll find that God can do great things in this next year. You're going to have to sever the flesh. You can't lean on the arm of the flesh. You're going to have to seek new fruit. Praise God for what he's done. 
But let's get our eyes focused on what he's going to do in our lives. And we're going to have to surrender fully. We're going to let him lead. We're going to have to let him give the battle plans. We're going to have to let him lead the army. But if we'll do it, God will do great things. Let's bow together this morning as a musician comes to play. I wonder if there'd be anybody in this room that would say, preacher one, two, maybe all three, but a portion of the things that you touched on this morning, God dealt with my heart about. I can look back at 2021 and some of the mistakes that I made, I can see were because I did not do those things. I, I can look back at some of the great things that God did, and I can see that he was able to do them because I did those things. And I want my heart and my life to be used for God, for his glory in this next year. If that's you, I want you to slip out of your seat right now and meet the Lord in this altar and just bear your heart to him and let him speak your soul. Let him command your life. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.